Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on the show, I'm talking to Case Kenny. He is a writer and podcaster, and he is the man behind the Mindset Journal. Today, we are going to talk about mindfulness. Case Kenny, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, dude. So I start with you. Like, I, I just want to say... <laughs> I want to say to you that I think your message is so powerful and what you're doing is so powerful because for 15 years, I struggled very hard doing the correct actions or actions that could be conceived as correct with a really screwed up mindset that really got in the way. And so I kept failing over and over again, really because mostly because of how I thought about what I was doing, the, the, I was getting in my own way. So I think the, the message you're, you're spreading is certainly an undercut to like, you know, you can lay out a path for somebody to do something, but if they're thinking about it incorrectly, it's very difficult to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're certainly not alone in that. And I think what you just said is such a an apt description of why I think mindfulness, which is really what I'm passionate about, is so powerful because I used to think mind as a regular guy, pretty masculine guy, pretty type A guy, I used to think something like mindfulness was for sensitive people, people who talked about energies and people who had healing crystals in their apartment. Not for me. Well, I don't know what that is. Not for me. But what I've realized is that mindfulness leads to better actions. And what is a more controlling, compassionate, type A, masculine, feminine, whatever you want to call it, force in life than the things you do, action. So I just really took a step back and I've realized that like mindfulness is so powerful because it leads to better actions. And actions are how you decide that you're in control of your life. Mindfulness isn't necessarily a passive thing that you just sit down and you share your feelings and you call it a day. It's like mass, you know, mindfulness builds you up. It makes you energized and excited to make compassionate decisions that are true to you, that are honest, that are judgment free. So really, I've, I've just come to realize how powerful mindfulness is as a as an impact force in your life, not just feelings sharing time, but to do big things for yourself and to do honest things. And it's all about action. So I'm really hot on that lately. I was just for the last hour talking to someone about how mindfulness and action, they go hand in hand. And that is why it's such an incentivizing thing to practice mindfulness in any form, whether it's journaling or therapy, whatever it is, but to, to do better actions. So yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm hot uh, on that lately. Listen, even as you say that, like the word mindfulness, it 
I don't, I don't love that word, but I, but, but it's also like, but I'm also a person like hears somebody complain about the word calorie or the word diet. And I'm like, it's just a word. Do you know what the word means? You know? And so I had that problem because there was a, there was a movement, which maybe I didn't totally understand, which was uh, diet through mindfulness. And, and I thought like, well, you're just, you're just wanting to think your way through. And, and I really did my conception of it was that there's no action. It's just this kind of thought you're thinking away your problems. And, and I agree with you. That's not what it is. That hasn't been what it's been for me. But when I start thinking more kind thoughts about myself, then my action becomes easier. I'm not getting in my own way. And that to me is mindfulness. And that to me was a big breakthrough. Yeah. It's so well said too, because I think, I mean, yeah, mindfulness, which to to define it, we, we use the word to define the word, which you shouldn't, but it's the act of being mindful. There's not much of a selling point, right? It's like, ah, oh, okay, I guess I'll be mindful, like call it a day. But yeah, it's like exactly what you said. You can't mindful your way into a better life. It is the foundation of it, but ultimately it's the things that you do. And I think, you know, a lot of who I talk to and who read my books and support me are women, which is fantastic. But I'm, I'm eager to talk to a lot more men lately because I think about my own behavior and I was always kind of averse to that because it was always like, no, me, man, me do. And, you know, we do these things and mindfulness, journaling, therapy. It just it seemed like this circular thing where it's like, OK, share my feelings, share my feelings, share my feelings. And I didn't really see the the benefit of it. But and again, we're, we're beating this up here, but it it, it incentivizes actions. And like in life, you have to find a way to have sustained motivation to do things either differently or for the hundredth time or out of habit or in a, a completely different way. And it, it does come back to mindfulness. It does come back to the art of being mindful, which is the art of being honest, which is the art of being judgment-free that leads to those actions. So now I think sometimes it requires you to really break down words like calorie or like mindfulness. And then you find the essence of it, and then you can go out and practice it in a practical way in, in, in the real world, right? Not in, in the land of butterflies and fairy tales, but an actual, you know, doing things life. So, yeah, I think breaking things down like that can be really helpful. Yeah. And, there, and there's a version of me where in the middle of a big workout or in the middle of a a set of legs where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's it. I'm going to give up, but I know I've got a few more in the tank. I can draw from the Uber masculine guys and tell myself to my inner bitch to shut up or something like that. Right. In, in that moment, that's very workable, but the majority of my day is not spent in that moment. And the majority of my day, I'm not getting through it by telling myself to shut up. The majority of my day, I'm getting through it by having a conversation with myself. And another thing that you're a big proponent of, which I love, is taking the thought out of my head and making it more objective. If I can put the thought down on paper, it's no longer in as much control of me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of journaling. I think journaling, guided journaling, is is uh, it's a great gateway into a full wellness mindfulness practice, whether that's therapy or whatever it may be. But journaling is such an easy thing to do, especially for people like myself and, and many people who are a little averse to mindfulness or self-help. They're a little cynical of it. Like, oh, you're going to tell me how to live my life or, or people who want to be mindful. They've been sold on the premise of mindfulness, but they don't know what to do. Journaling is so powerful because... Uh, guided journaling for one, you're provided with questions and you just answer the questions. You just, just answer the questions. It takes the guesswork out of it. A lot of people, like I didn't really know how to start mindfulness. A great guided journal from someone like myself or someone who has created one, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And then to your point, I think it's so powerful. There's a lot of science around the mind and body and to take a thought and make it real. But also it's really powerful because it allows you to make a distinction between facts and feelings. And sometimes you get the feeling out, you realize it's just a feeling. It doesn't define you. It's valid, but it doesn't define you. And it's different from the facts, right? You could feel anxious. You could feel doubt. But the fact is you're going to do it anyway. You're going you're gonna to find a way. And you could find through journaling, you could, you could draw that distinction. And I think ultimately in life, that is what allows for breakthroughs. Your ability to say, okay, I feel a certain way, but I'm going to challenge the feeling before I accept it as a fact. And when you journal and you could put it down and you can actually look at it, 
So it's so such a simple thing. You look at it, you wrote that left to right, pen or pencil, you wrote it, you could look at it, you say, okay, that is, what is this? Is this a fact or is this just a feeling? Is this is this a truth about me or is this just a, a temporary frustration and whatever? That is how you start to make these breakthroughs and just the simple art of taking it out of your head and getting it on paper or writing it on your MacBook or whatever it may be, it allows for that distinction. It's such a small thing, but I think it's so important. Yeah. No, I'm I'm so into it. What what brought you to this? What 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 was the thing that that made you come to this? <laughs> yeah. Uh I it, it's tough. I'm 35. I when I was 28, I was working in advertising in Chicago. Um there was just a moment where I just gone through a, a breakup with someone that we had been dating for a while. We lived together the whole thing. I was also traveling a lot for this sales job I had in advertising. So I was in in and out of Chicago going to like Toledo and St. Louis and Kansas City like twice a week. It was just a lot. And I just kind of had a, a moment where I was like, man, it would really suck if I look back in 10, 20, 30 years and I realized that I was just doing things just to do them. I was doing things because, oh, you should date because that's what you're supposed to do. You should work a job because you need money. You should you know, go to the gym because that's what you're supposed to do. I was doing these things without having a why behind it. And I'm a pretty type A person. And I was just kind of fired up by the premise of regret that I might look back and realize that I can't, I don't have do-overs. And that fired me up. And I, I was like, I, I need to... I need to have better answers to why. Why do I have a goal? Why do I feel a certain way? So on and so forth. So I started the podcast in 2018 as the way to address that for myself. So it came from a very um, self-serving thing. I, I wanted to help myself uh, answer these questions. Um, and the rest is kind of history. What I realized through that process was I was practicing mindfulness. My, and mindfulness is 100% a muscle. The better you get, the better, the the more questions you ask yourself, the better you are at finding honest answers and the better you get at just having a mentality of honesty. And the, the rest is history. Honestly, I never had any inclination to get into self-development or being a anything. And, and in fact, I still don't, I don't call myself an expert. You know, I'm grateful when people do, but I, I refer to myself as just a guy who shares his feelings for a living because that's what I do. And um, it's you know a privilege, of course, to be able to do that for a living. But you know, it, it came from a place of just wanting to answer these questions for myself. And then you know, in anything in life, I've done it 500 times on the podcast. I've written thousands of, of pages of, of text as well. You just get better at it, and you know, you, people start to relate, and you know, you could build build influence and all that. But it, it came from a place of wanting to answer these questions for myself. And then I quickly realized that um, everyone has these types of questions, and it became a very relatable thing. Yeah, I think these I think these types of questions are are really I, but I you know I also think that um a lot of people have these questions without even realizing that they're questions. They they're they're yeah. kind of like just looked at as life, you know. L- life presents these situations which I'm going to take as a part of life or truth or reality or mm-hmm. whatever it is and really like what you're saying the distinction between fact and emotions or feelings that can be a heavy duty distinction to make. So um, do you have any advice for people who, you know, because there have been some instances where truly the way I perceived reality has been rocked by thinking about it in those terms. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) I think, you know, for me, I think like the idea of like being happy in your life, being content with yourself, being at peace with yourself, like in order to find that um, and not just find it, but define it for yourself, because I think it's different for everyone. You have to be a bit contrarian. You have to be a bit left when everyone else is right. You have to be. I wrote a book in January called That's Bold of You, which is kind of built on the idea of mimetic theory, which is basically the, this, this whole thing that says like very little in life um, did we develop on our own to want. Like where we're emulating, where we're mimicking a lot. Like it, it's 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 so it's society saying, oh, you should want this thing because that person has it. They look happy, so on and so forth. And we develop these desires. We develop timelines. We develop expectations. We develop judgment of ourselves based on mimetic theory and desire. Um, and that was really an eye-opening moment for me. Whether it's completely true or not, or whether we're just looking back and connecting the dots, it was really an aha moment for me to be like, man, I need to not be obsessive compulsive with the things that I want and the way I feel in life, but it would really behoove me to say, okay, I have these desires. I have these expectations. I have these timelines in mind. Where did they come from? Are they mine? 
am, you know, I, I say, oh, you know, I'll be happy when I make $100,000 a year or I'll finally be happy when I have a partner because that means I'm lovable. Where are these feelings coming from? Where am I? Are they mine or am I borrowing them? And I just found there to be so much freedom and energy in knowing that I control all of that. And mindfulness is the way to, to say, okay, let me examine these things and figure out where they're coming from. Maybe they are true to me. Great. Fantastic. I've done my due diligence. I won't regret this. Or maybe I've been rushing. Maybe I've been borrowing. Maybe I've been copying and pasting and it's not necessarily myself. And I don't have to continue down that path anymore. And that is where the idea of mindfulness and action come into play because then you get to decide to stop or to start over. And I think that the biggest thing that has given me so much peace is the idea of starting over and not, not necessarily like moving cities or quitting your job, but like starting a new routine, um, deciding a new habit or a new boundary or something you're not going to go back and do. I used to think, and I think a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking the idea of starting over means that you messed up so bad that you're going back to zero and you're starting over from scratch. Mindfulness will prove to you that for one, you're never starting from scratch. You're building all these things with you. Most of all, starting over doesn't mean you're getting further away from what you want. It means you're getting closer to it. So the more we can start over in life in, in small ways, right? If you're always starting new jobs and, and things like that, we have a different conversation. But the ability to start over, the ability to say, okay, I wanted this, but now I don't. I didn't want this, but now I do. That is showing you that you have power and you're moving closer to finding the right equation of goodness, peace, energy, people, purpose, all these things together. We just have to be less averse to starting over. And I think mindfulness will help deliver that to us amidst all the noise in life. But our ability to hone in that, on that and be honest with ourselves and allow ourselves to start over, I think is the greatest gift we can give ourselves. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, you know, for many years, the thing I wanted most was just the sense of being a normal person. And, and I say that now and it, makes me feel not great because I don't think anybody really feels like a normal person. I think it's kind of a, a mean thing to cast upon others, but mm -hmm. I perceived most other people as being normal and me being abnormal. And I believed very much that diet would deliver this normalcy yeah. to me. And it just never did. Yeah. It never did. And it wasn't until I got like, okay, with being who I am and whatever that means and all the stuff that comes with that, that I started to feel like however I was, wasn't terrible. And, yeah. and that was largely due to like, you know, accidentally doing some of the stuff you're talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you know, you, so you can't like think yourself into that. You needed that experience and you needed that perspective. But I mean, I think it really drives home that like, the idea of, you know, it sounds like a lot of your former discontent came from comparing yourself. Yeah. You're here. Everyone else is there. You're this way. Everyone else is that way. And man, I, I think about the topic of comparison and it's tough. I, I saw data that said like 10% of our daily thoughts are devoted to comparison of some kind and something like we have like, I don't know, 10,000 thoughts a day. So that means 1000 times a day, we're comparing ourselves to other people, to other timelines, to media, to social media. It's like, man, that's exhausting. It's exhausting. And, and it's no wonder that so many people create discontent for themselves because of comparison. And it's not realistic for me to sit here and be like, well, stop comparing yourself. Not a realistic piece of advice at all. <laughs> I'm horrible at comparing myself and I'm the guy who does this for a living. But I, you know, the, what you said about, you know, finally coming home to yourself in a way um, on a timeline that maybe you wished it was shortened, you know, it obviously at some point you, decided to stop comparing yourself in the way that you used to, which is likely from a place of lack or a place of catching up or, or whatever it may be that I think really, you know, the, the strongest thing we could do is like, yeah, compare, whatever, compare, but be inspired and don't compare from a place of lack. And that's probably one of the most difficult things to do is to be able to look at other people and say, oh, that's cool. They have this. That, that's interesting. Instead of I don't have this, therefore I'm falling behind. They look happy. I'm not happy. So Things wrong with me. I need to emulate. I need to catch up. It's a very difficult thing, but obviously the first step is realizing that you're doing it. And I think in the, in the day and age of social media, which I love social media, I think it's great, but we need to, we need to have a strong element of discipline and, and control, not just with minutes on a phone, but where our head is. Is it lack or is it inspiration? Big difference. And I think it's great to be inspired, but it can't come from that place of, of lack. And 
you know, I think a therapist would have a field day with a conversation like this. But I think that the topic of comparison is 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 a big one. Yeah. Do you think that in, in I find that today um, a lot of the dialogue, especially w- which leads back and to this kind of subject of comparison, you can get into the perception that you're at literal risk. Your 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 life is in jeopardy because you don't have x y or z and whatever that is and and you know maybe if your house is on fire and your neighbor won't (laughs) lend you their fire extinguisher that's real but i think that a lot of that too can be you can dissect that for truthfulness and 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 discover whether a lot of it is emotional or fact-based and that and i think that can be very scary that's like one of those things where you're shattering the story of life for for some people is that something you fear or you find people have difficulty with i i think it's one of the most difficult things in the world is to i mean we're we're wired for stubbornness we're wired for familiarity if you've been believing something for a long time and you've been reinforcing it with what you consume and the way you look at the world it's very difficult this it's 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 almost addicting. I mean, it's it's almost like a drug. Like familiarity is is a heck of a drug. Um, so I think it's very difficult to say, you know, to to allow yourself to reinvent yourself, to allow yourself to admit that maybe you were wrong. You're not even wrong. It's just you're changing your mind. Um, I think it's probably one of the most difficult things to to do, particularly when you assign meaning to it. Right? You were wrong, therefore you messed up, therefore you're falling behind, and we just we just we just cycle through these conclusions, which I don't think are fair to ourselves. Um, and then you just continue to reinforce it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a very difficult thing, but it's the most rewarding thing. Like I, I don't think we realize that you know we have we have to we have to inject some kind of change, and change is always going to be uncomfortable. It's it's always going to be that way. It's like we we have to find a way to. Uh, you know, incentivize ourselves to embrace that because we know what's on the other side of that is going to be more fulfilling than staying in place and running in circles. Um, but again, it's it's very tough. I mean, I think a lot of people, I talk a lot about relationships. A lot of people would rather be incredibly lonely in a relationship than to literally be alone. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like we have these degrees of, you know, things that we're willing to tolerate and there's ones that we feel more ostracized towards. So we're not willing to do that starting over being alone so on and so forth so yeah i think it, to answer your question it's, it's very difficult but we we have to find a way to incentivize ourselves that's why it's like mindfulness is the incentive to act and acting is great but you need the mindfulness and you need the action with it so it, it goes hand in hand but at a certain point you've got to get real with yourself and you've got to you know you've got to ask yourself i'm very inspired by the idea of regret which i don't think it's good in life to ever act out of fear but i think it's good to act out of minimizing regret because you can't change regret regret oh man regret is such an unsettling feeling for me because you can't go back and change regret so it's like what don't you want to regret in life that's a journaling exercise that i encourage people to do it's like if you were to sit down and kind of create categories for yourself and your career and your relationships and whatever maybe what don't you want to regret write it out see if you can put some words to it that could open up your eyes yeah do it in an honest way it could scare you and then that can lead to action I mean, I have two thoughts. The very base immediate thought that comes to mind is like, I want to talk to my wife about this because uh, I feel like there's a lesson in here for her. She, there are certain instances where she can't make up her mind and she is trying to mitigate regret. You know, um, Mm. should, should we go do this? Like, yes, let's go do this. Wait a sec. I want to do like, and, and I will jokingly call her capricious, which I think is just a mean (laughs) thing to say. Um, but there, but you know, because because I am like from the dude school where I'm almost like acting with no thought most of the time, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I think yeah. that's also yeah. wrong because then I do yeah. have regrets. And I was like, if I had thought about that more deeply, I might have made a different decision um, to mitigate regret. So I yeah. think there's got to be a balance there. But for someone who's beginning and thinking about this, I imagine if the first step is like let's become contrarian about our entire word worldview that's that's a bit of an undertaking right and and i think even being a contrarian nowadays can be dangerous or perceived as dangerous right you 
say one thing that questions some ideology and you're labeled X and you're now in the out group that that's scary. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. That might be necessary, but what's the first step for someone that's safe to take that doesn't totally challenge the foundation of their entire life? Yeah, I think that's a good point because I mean, everything we're describing, right? It's in the moderation in some sense, and it's in the balance, right? It's in the balance between facts and feelings. We're not going to dismiss all of our feelings and say, that's a feeling. This is a fact. Forget about it. No, of course not. Not healthy at all. I'll give the the simplest example of one of the the more powerful journaling exercises that I like to come back to. And it's borrowed in essence from like habit formation communities is the idea of uh, fill in the blank. I'm the kind of person who, and then you fill in with verbs. Um, really simple thing to do, but it draws a line between what I find a lot of people do that gets you in a bit of emotional trouble. Namely, when you identify yourself and your your human goal essence as an adjective, saying, I want to be happy, I want to be successful, I want to be confident, right? Adjectives. The reason that I, I typically don't try to prescribe words like that to myself is, first of all, those words are tough to define. Second of all, a lot of those words are out of our power, right? Happiness. First of all, what is happiness? But more importantly, happiness is something that is in your control, but a lot of it is not in your control. And as humans, we're very wired to be reactive to patterns and to events in our life. So if you're not happy for two months in a row, just because you've, you've, that's where you are in your life, you've had a bad luck streak, we're very wired to say, well, I guess I'm, a, I'm an unhappy person or I'm a failure and so on and so forth. We're very quick to jump to these labels because we've attached our identities to adjectives, which are a bit fickle and a bit temporary. So I have a weird thing with words here. So instead of adjectives, I like to come back to verbs and the idea of a journal exercise, like I'm the kind of person who, and then you fill in the verbs. So instead of saying, you know, uh, I want to be successful, you say, I'm the kind of person who, and then you list out all the verb statements that you can control that would make you successful, right? So if you're in a sales job and you're a young new hire, I'm the kind of person who offers to go first, first in the office, never doesn't respond to an email, is always willing to make an extra call, right? You be specific about what those things are. Happiness, maybe it's gratitude, maybe it's daily walks, maybe it's you know talking to family once a week, whatever it is, do those things. And not only now do you have a blueprint for things you can do, but you've also you've sat down and defined the verbs that will in theory make you happy and you can control those things. So like in, you're, you're creating for one, a habit formation framework for yourself. And more importantly, you've decided what the verbs are that will make you that adjective, which in the past has just been this idea. Oh, happiness. You know, I'll run into it. I'll know what it's like later. It's like, no, let's create it for ourselves with the things that we can control. So again, common theme here is we're finding mindfulness and action. And it's like chicken and egg, egg and chicken, which one's coming first, where we can create that for ourselves. So I find a lot of power in a journaling exercise like that. I'm the kind of person who and just write as many verb phrases as you can and then live those for a while and see what happens. Add some more, remove some, simplify some, try different ones. I think that'll add a lot of clarity to your life. And are these also ambitious? Like, do you have to pick things that you are already absolutely doing or do you have stuff that you want to be doing? Yeah, both. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it should be ambitious. I think it should be who who you aspire to be, certainly. Um but again, the, the balance is in between. Like we, we can't attach happiness to who we want to be. We have to be able to find happiness in who we are. And I think finding clarity in who we are while working on the things that we need to work, while letting go of who we're not, while building up better habits. Um, but I, I think if, if, we're, if we're placing finish lines solely on who we want to be, we're, we're going to be chasing that for a long time. It's good. But we're, we have to find a way to be content in some form in who we are while being ambitious, while being driven for, for, for better. But, uh, you know, I, I, I struggle with a lot of, you know, self-help is about more. It's about better, right? Which I think is good, right? In, in a sense. But in my own life, I've also discovered that a lot of the breakthroughs I've had when it comes to like letting go of things and finding peace and, and being happy it didn't come from 10xing my revenue or you know bigger better relationships or a bigger bench press or anything like that it came from simpler and it came from different it came from simplifying my life doing less letting go of, of more and it came from different 
something I hadn't thought of in the past, something instead of tripling and quadrupling down on something, I tried something different. So I think we need to open our minds to the fact that it might not be bigger and better. It could be different and simpler. So opening yourself to that um, could be an easy way to, to put some verbs on your list. Um, but just being aware of that, I think could be helpful. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's a good point. Also, I ha- have never experienced, I've experienced. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. achieving many of the things I intended to achieve. And there was never a kind of a point where I was like, okay, that's enough. That has, that has never occurred. And so I think there is something nice about being satisfied and grateful for achieving the things you've, and you know, I say that and I don't want to shut people down to making new goals and having new aspirational directions that they're going off in. Um, but the wealthiest people I know also don't feel that they have enough money or they're working yeah. very, very hard to make more money. You know, billionaires who are yeah, nose to the grindstone, you know, yeah. 60 hour work weeks to make even more money. And it's like, you know, there. so I don't think there is a thing of like, if I just get the house or I just get the car I will be content. I, I that that has never existed for me. Yeah, I think uh, such a good point. I saw something the other day. I think it's true, but it was like this research group interviewed people who made a million a year, five million a year, ten million a year, and twenty million a year, and they asked them all independent of each other, what would make you happy in life? What um re- what income amount would make you happy? And they all said. 10x what they were making. Right. Those people who are already making a million dollars. So yeah. those people who are making 10 million, they said, okay, I just need to make a hundred million and then I'll be happy. <laughs> so I mean it is an accurate statement. I'm sure you've got, you know, you know some successful, influential people. I do as well. It's the same, it's the same problem across everyone. Everyone is always moving the finish line. You achieve what you came out to achieve, but then it's like, ah, but we're just gonna move it here. I myself am the same way. I've been privileged to do really well uh, as an author. And I remember Six years ago, I bought these really nice bottles of champagne in Chicago. And I was like, okay, when I hit, you know, I sell 100,000 books, I'm going to pop the champagne. It's going to be a nice moment for me. And I still, to this day, I still have that bottle of champagne. I even, I'm in Miami now. I even brought it down from Chicago with me to Miami. And I still haven't opened it because every time I hit a goal, whether it's an emotional goal or a sense of pride or an actual benchmark goal, I just keep moving it. And I'm very aware of the fact that I'm doing this, but it just like nothing is ever good enough until you decide it's good enough. And that will only come when you decide it's good enough for yourself. And that comes with discipline and just self-control and saying it's good enough because I've decided it's good enough. The thing that makes it not good enough for you is comparing yourself. So I don't know. It's all intertwined here, but it's, you know, no one should feel bad for themselves and like they're, they're bad people for like not being grateful. 
but gratitude comes as a decision when you decide to be grateful. Um, you know, <laughs> so I think it's something we all struggle with, no matter how aware you are of it. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing about gratitude, the thing for, and again, this could be wrong. Tell me, tell me if this is wrong, but I find, um, I can become grateful at any point in my life by comparing to people who I wouldn't want to trade places with and going like, well, shit, I've got it pretty darn good. You know, I, I'm, I, I need to be grateful for this because I, I can look at people who I wouldn't want to trade places with and they're experiencing gratitude even. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the exercises I love to do, and it's like, and immediate, you can literally, in a snap of your fingers, create gratitude for yourself. It's, fr- it's from Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a Buddhist monk and peace activist who passed away a couple of years ago, but he's got some tremendous writing. He's got a, an exercise or a, a passage that um, people refer to as the non-toothache gratitude exercise. And basically, he says, all right, picture a time in your life where at some point you had a toothache was really bad, right? In the moment when you had that toothache, all you could think about was not having the toothache, how amazing it was to not have a toothache. And when you're in that moment, all you could think about is that. But when you don't have a toothache, which is the majority of your life, hopefully you're not grateful for not having a toothache. Right. So the, one, of the, one of the best ways in the moment as a journaling exercise is just a mindfulness prompt is immerse yourself in something that was very unpleasant. Maybe it was a toothache, maybe it was a broken arm, maybe you're a singer and you couldn't sing, maybe you were out of work for a long time, but now you're working. Immerse yourself in that period where you were very uncomfortable, frustrated, anxious, whatever it may be. Think about that feeling and now snap into your present and be grateful you're not in the negative. Like the opposite of the negative should be gratitude. No matter if you have things that you want, no matter if you haven't earned what you want or if you're at the top of your game as a singer, whatever it is, that is how you quickly create some gratitude for yourself by comparing experiences in your own life or to your point, looking out and comparing yourself in, in another way and say, I'm grateful for what I have in this moment. I think there's sometimes gratitude isn't lofty and rainbows. You force it on yourself. Make yourself grateful by by opening your eyes to your your past experiences. And so the idea of the non-toothache can can be helpful there. I like the non-toothache a lot. I I my uh one of my teenage daughters just finished a you know, she just wrapped up her year at school, but she finished a big project which she had She's going into being a senior in high school and she'd been utterly focused and not thinking about anything else except this one year. And she got to the end and she kind of expected this miraculous fireworks type experience. <laughs> and she found that it was just like, oh, this is the end of this year and that's it. And now we have another year. And she was dis- she was devastated by this. And I didn't really know how to help her. I just said like, well, okay, let's focus on the next year. And she was like, you're not getting what I'm saying. And I I really wasn't other than, you know, for me, I think the closest would be like, uh, I lost a certain amount of weight that I set out to lose. And when I lost it, nothing had changed. I could, I was wearing different size clothes, but I didn't feel any different. And I was expecting to become this different person. And that didn't happen. And so I could relate to her in that way. But I think something like what you're talking about and, and not even that she has to compare herself to a time she had a toothache, that that would be a different set of circumstances. But to write down some of this stuff and, and journal in a directed manner might be helpful in those circumstances. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, such an interesting comment because it's like, Part of me wants to say that, yeah, find a way to reflect and be proud of yourself. Be proud of the progress you made. Write it down so you see it and you don't gloss past it. I absolutely stand by that. But I also think it's also a reflection of just like how important purpose and progress in like doing is in life. Like we need to have some kind of purpose, whether it's a purpose of getting a school project done or going to the gym or, you know, writing the next great American novel. Like we need to have something that we work on because achievement is a little empty. Like it can feel empty at times when you're done and you're like, Oh, nothing's (laughs) changed. Really? It's like, we need to have, (laughs) we need to have something. I'm not, I'm not saying like we need to be building a startup or we always need to be, you know, auditioning for the next role or like obsessive with just doing and doing and doing, but like 
something that drives us, something that we're proud of. That's why I'm so adamant about like not defining myself by trying to be happy or successful. I just want to be proud of myself because I think those things will come from being proud of yourself because when you're proud of yourself, you do what you say you're going to do. You're being honest about what you want and what you don't want, all these different things. And I, and I think it's so important to be driven by something that's at the deepest level possible rather than, you know, just X, Y, Z achievement because yeah, yeah it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little empty. Um, and I think we could do better for ourselves. Like even for myself, like last week, I had the utter privilege of being on the Today Show talking about these things. And I was like, man, this is this is my moment. This is it. This is insane. And it was insane. It was such a privilege to be able to do it. But then when it was over, it was like, oh, wait a minute. Now, now it's just it's just life. And it's like, luckily for me, I'm, I'm so intertwined with what I do. And it's just everything is just it's such a such a, a gift and, and it helps me so immensely and I get to make a living from it. But it's like we need to find something. And, you know, there's lots of writings about like Ikigai, the Japanese concept of what you're good at, we can get paid for what the world needs, all these types of things. But I think it comes back to sitting down and being honest with yourself about what you want. You know, what are you good at? Where does your inspiration come from? Where do your desires come from? Are we borrowing them? Are we rushing to do things only to get there to find out that, oh, that it, it didn't prove what I thought it would prove. I think it takes an immense amount of self-control to do that amidst being patient, which is something that I wrestle with, amidst being grateful, which is also something I wrestle with. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think we're all figuring things out. I think the sweet spot is in the balance. Do you find that patience is an interesting one? Because I think um, the other thing I run into today is like, and 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 I, I think even before social media, I experienced this where if I had the idea, like I want to make a change, I wanted the change to occur immediately. And what you're talking about, and you said it earlier, you said it is a muscle and you can strengthen it. Um, that's not happening overnight. Like you can make the decision, but it might not become innate. Like, as you said, you've been doing this for quite a few years. You still have to actively work at it. It's a, it's a practice. It's not just something that is naturally a part of you. It's not your eye color, right? It's something yeah, that yeah. you work at. So do you find that that can be a, a struggle at first where people want this to be like, like the way you're talking about your books, honestly, I think there's a universe where you just do that forever and it helps and but you don't stop doing it yeah i mean i think there's so much there i think i i think the reason that we struggle with patience is because the examples set for us are the exception to the rule right. the media movies they we like to cover the exceptions we like to cover the per, the people who they're like yeah i guess i'll write a book and then it becomes a bestseller or the people are like yeah i'll start a TikTok and they gain a million followers overnight. the exception to the rule certainly love it be entertained by it be inspired by it but the majority of people who build wealth, for instance, it took them a long time. The people who finally wrote that amazing, impactful book that sold millions of copies, they wrote 10 books before that. I've done 500 episodes of the podcast. I'm just kind of getting started and you know, privileged to get some notoriety from what I'm doing, but I've been doing it for years. I've been podcasting since 2014, a long time. Like it, it, it takes a while. And you know, and on the podcasting front, on the on the meta example front here, it's like everyone wants the podcast, right? But I saw a stat the other day that was like ninety nine point seven percent of podcasts don't get past episode ten or something, and that's because it's very difficult to do, and people give up after ten podcasts because the example set for them was, oh, you know, you do two podcasts and you're gonna you're gonna be on Sirius XM rocking out doing your podcasting, and right. I would love that for people. I love the exceptions. I freaking love it, but it's just not the reality, and I'm not you know, encouraging people to lower their expectations, leave room for miracles, leave room for luck and randomness, but commit to the, the long run. Like I advise people in, in audio and, and I always say, okay, you're going to do this, commit to a year of podcasts, whether that's 50 episodes or hundred episodes. And then, and then we'll come back and talk. And I think it's the same with anything in life that you've decided a new habit, a new opportunity, commit to a long game of it, and because for one, statistically, you need to, but two, you know, we could talk all day about what is your why, right? If you don't have a why guiding you, what's your incentive? Like truly, what is your incentive? Like for me, I say the podcast is my therapy. Every time I sit down and do the podcast, I am therapeutically growing myself. It is my therapy. So I will never not be incentivized to do the podcast, truly. And I got lucky with that. It's a sweet spot for me, but I think everyone's capable of finding that, that deep level of incentive 
I think that will give you patience. Um, but it's tough, especially talking about comparison. Like I am privileged to to be at the top of the game when it comes to podcasting. I I, I work with SiriusXM for the podcast, which is great and amazing. But I sit here all day and I look at the bigger podcasts. I look at Joe Rogan and Caller Daddy and some of those folks. And I'm like, man, I, why am I not them? So I think it's always easy to get to get into this pitfall of, of comparison and, and you know patience certainly um, is going to be the reason that we uh, impatience is going to be a reason that we we give up too early. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you're doing anything um, specifically with like material goals, it can be it can be hard if those don't come through. Like my my biggest thing has been finding a real love for going to the gym and it and it's far more than how i look physically it is mental clarity that i get each day when i leave the gym i'm just better off and i don't know that i would still be going to the gym every day if i if i didn't find that and so for you and i love i love doing my podcast too i feel like this keeps me very accountable because i talk yeah. to folks like you and i say like here's all my crap and here's all my garbage and i'm still working on it and i'm still a work in progress but when I go to the gym, I just feel better. And so like if somebody's just going to the gym to lose weight, maybe they don't go anymore when they've lost their weight and they gain their weight back. And so like I think there there needs to be deeper incentives. Yeah. Than- and and again, I try to be practical because it's easy for us to sit here and be like, oh, find your why and you'll be good. It could take, take a lifetime to find your why. Truly. Like if you find it in your 20s, you are the exception. Right. Good on you. Um so one of the more practical things that I think about, I used to work in sales. I used to lead a sales team. So I had you know 12 people that reported to me and our job was to go out and generate clients for this technology company. And we had broken it down that you know on average, it took 20 emails to get a meeting and then you know five meetings to get a deal. And so we knew more or less that every no you heard or every unanswered email you had, you were statistically moving closer to a yes. Because, okay, you've had five no's in a row. That means, you know, you've got a, you know, 27% more likelihood that your next one will be the yes based on all the data that we've compiled. So we had broken it down to know that, okay, I just need to send 20 emails and eventually I will get that meeting and then so on and so forth. Um, so we, we incentivize ourselves. So every no, as much as it hurt and it was annoying and it was, it was frustrating, we knew we had to get through it to get to the result that we wanted. And, I, and I've talked about that before in the realm of like dating, for instance about you know you can't you know put statistics on dating and say i need to go on 10 bad dates before i get a good first date but the idea still applies right that getting past the no getting past the 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 sweat and the sweat equity of the pour into something will get you closer to that thing that you've identified that you want and I, you know it, it's it's a slippery slope sometimes because then we we could end up you know being a little bullheaded and committing to things that maybe don't make sense but like i really do think we need to sometimes think about the value of no or the value of the process or the value of a somewhat mid-tier result for us to get to the thing that we want that is a reality of life like we have to be willing to embrace those moments and more so than that like i think a lot um what, was I, what movie was i watching last night i was watching a movie uh, some war movie and he said um courage does not exist without fear it's like the value of contrast is what makes good things good right right happy a, a happy feeling frankly only exists because we know what unhappiness looks like right love we only know what love looks like because we know what hate looks like we only know what confidence looks like because we know what lack of confidence looks like we need it's the toughest thing in the world especially if you've been hurt especially if you've had loss and and trauma and these things like we're not invalidating that of course but the value of contrast can be an inspiring thing if we learn to react to it in that way or at least uh see it objectively for what it can offer us it helps us define the things that lie on the other side of it so you know it depends on how you want to slice and dice it you want to be a statistician and you want to look at it as you know 19 no's to get to that that one yes okay great if you want to look at the value of a of a no of a breakup of a failure of, of defining the thing that you deserve that's great maybe somewhere in between but again mindfulness honesty journaling will help you define that for yourself yeah i think mindfulness can get you to the point where you're able to examine why it was bad you know rather than just going on a bunch of dates and going like those were all unpleasant i didn't like them but i'm going to continue going on dates and not change anything you know maybe you keep having that experience but it can also be like 
you know, I did 10 diets that weren't successful and I can look at all the various reasons. My compliance is probably part of it, but like there could be aspects which I really don't like. And unless I like actually have that conversation in a meaningful, honest way with myself, I'm not going to be able to grow from the experience of letdown or failure or negativity or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. I mean, I talk a lot about mindfulness and there's different types of mindfulness, right? There's like spiritual mindfulness, which is I am one with the world. I am light. I attract goodness. That's not my kind of mindfulness. Um, I love it for some people. It works really well for people. My mindfulness, as you can probably tell, is very uh, objective and very logical and it's very observation based. It's saying experience A led to a conclusion B. Experience C led to conclusion D. I have lived through this, therefore I believe this. And I really do think the value, the practice of mindfulness can be as simple as going through your memory bank and reevaluating or evaluating for the first time your experiences and saying, okay, in the past, I lived through all this stuff and I never learned from it. I made quick snap assumptions about what it meant. I gave myself unfair labels as a result. But mindfulness says I'm going back through the evidence and then I'm going to re-present the material to the jury for a different verdict. That is that is mindfulness. Like I talk a lot about uh, standards and dating, right? It's very easy sometimes for for young people to say, "Oh, this is my standard and this is my standard." And then when I ask them like where it came from, they're like, "Oh, well, just, that's just what you do." And I think that's fine and that's great. But you talk to people who are a little more seasoned in life. The great thing is they say, okay, you know, I have this standard. And I say, well, where did that come from? And they say, well, I lived through the opposite of that standard. I have this experience. I say, great. It's unfortunate that you had to live through the opposite of that thing, but that is what makes that standard unbreakable. You had an experience, you evaluated it, you learned from it, and now you've set it in stone and you're moving forward. That is the value of mindfulness, going back through your memories and then training yourself in the present. So when you have an experience, you have an input and an output, you're not being unfair to yourself. You're not rushing to a conclusion. You're evaluating it objectively and emotionally somewhere in between. And you're coming up with something redeeming. Like that is how I see mindfulness. It's it's memory bank. It's going through your experiences exactly as you said, and then moving forward accordingly instead of, of rushing or just sweeping things under the rug. Yeah, that that makes more sense to me. The you know, the what I perceive as the hippie version of <laughs> yeah. it, which was like not interesting to me for a long time. But I yeah. but I think like when I think about how it's been useful, it is certainly more in the ways that it that you're talking about and, and the other thing i've found useful is being present for things like experiences that i would kind of like be on autopilot for hmm. if i'm actively thinking about them while they're happening and being in the moment it, it, it they have a different meaning they have it, it becomes a different experience and i'm in more control even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, in-store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Yeah, I think presence, I think stillness, as simple and as passive of a thing as it is, it's contrary to that. It's the clearest proof that we're in control in our, our lives, that we can stop amidst all the noise, amidst all the inputs and say, I'm in this moment and I'm appreciating it, observing it, 
directing it, whatever it may be. It, you know, that is how you live your life to the fullest. And I'm like very passionate about that idea now being in my, in my mid thirties, just like looking back of how fast I was rushing through things and not taking time to appreciate moments. I mean, I started something called the 2.16 PM social club, which is basically a, a way to get people at 2.16 every day to stop what they're doing and just be in the moment. Even if you're in a, a locked room, just stare at the wall, just do, do something, even if it's for 20 seconds to be in that moment, to show yourself that you're in control, that you can bring your mind and body to the same place. I, I think it's so important because again, regret, you're going to, one of these days, you're going to look back and you're like, man, I wish I had appreciated more moments. I wish I, I wish I had been in those moments more instead of body here, head way down there. Um, I think that's the greatest gift we can give ourselves truly. Yeah, I totally agree that, uh, as a father, I have four kids and, and the, that is my, probably my biggest regret is having like my thoughts on work while I'm with my kids mm, or yeah. my thoughts on diet or anything while I'm with my kids and going like, I'm never getting that time back. So I better get my act together for the future with them. Yeah. I, that's great perspective. I appreciate that. Cause I, I, I talk a lot of like the reason I think we're so averse to being present sometimes is the little moments are the moments that are so rewarding. Because if you look at your life, I think the majority of our life are little moments. They're just average moments. Yeah. We'll have some big moments and those are great. But if you put all your moments together, the majority of your life's moments are the little moments. I, I call them in between days, right? Because we're so focused on finish lines that we see the, the time in between now and then as just toss away moments in between days are the majority of our life's moments. And there's a Jerry Seinfeld quote where he's talking about spending time with his kids. And he was talking about how he's sick of being pressured to spend quote quality times with his kids. He's like, what, I need to go to Disneyland with my kids to prove that I'm a good father or that I'm spending time with them. He's like, no, he calls it garbage time, garbage time with your kids, sitting on the couch, eating a bowl of cereal, shooting the shit in the hallway, whatever, whatever it may be, cleaning up after dinner. He said, that is the quality time because I've decided that it matters and I'm present in it. I don't need to do these grand gestures to be present with my kids or spend time with my kids. And I don't have kids, but I extrapolated that idea in general. It's like the majority of our life's days are in between days is garbage time. That is the time that we should figure out how to appreciate instead of saying, oh, I'll appreciate that kind of thing once I've had this big moment. I think that's such a fallacy that we need to shake ourselves up a little bit and say, no, in between days, the majority of my life, I need to find a way to be present in it, appreciate it, garbage time, whatever you want to call it. I think that is really what just opens you up to the gift of being alive. I love thing. that, man. Yeah, I'm going to be grateful for the garbage time. Garbage time. I really love that. Yeah, yeah, garbage time it is. Chase, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And, and thank you for spreading the message as well. I'm a, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of you. I'm a fan of, of what you stand for as well. So likewise. Awesome. And now for the Q&A. Today's question is from Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Chelsea says, Hi, Ethan. I'm a 30-year-old female currently weighing 320 pounds. I've decided to do the 75 hard, and I'm working out twice a day, drinking a gallon of water, and staying on a healthy diet, counting calories. I'm eating around 2,500 calories and burning around 4,500 calories. That's I haven't, awesome. <clears throat> yeah. She says, I haven't been losing weight. Do you have any insight? please help. Also love your show. You've helped me so much. Thank you very much. I, I, w I would love to know how many days into 75 hard she is without having lost any weight. If she's burning 2000 more calories a day than she's consuming there, it's, it's more than possible that you go from not drinking a lot of water to drinking a gallon a day, which weighs eight pounds and being in a caloric deficit and your body kind of freaking out and retaining a bunch of that water. But if you're deep into it, your body should have acclimated to that and be balancing that a little bit better. So that, that would be my question. Otherwise, I have no idea why that would happen. If you're 30 days into 75 hard and you've been, uh, you know, consuming no more than 2,500 calories a day and doing that kind of exercise, because I think they require two workouts. One of them might even be outside. 
Um, I don't understand why you wouldn't have lost weight. But in the first week, if you go from like not drinking much water to drinking a gallon of water a day, yeah, yeah, you could you could gain weight doing that, you know, but that's mm-hmm. that's not you're not gaining fat. You will have been burning fat and you will just be heavier on the scale because you're full of water. But the water will should balance out and you'll start getting rid of it. Um, but a gallon of water only weighs about eight pounds. So like I would think a, a gallon her with her dimensions as far as what she gave, you're going to be deep into have having lost eight pounds of fat, even if none of that water is coming off or your your body's just holding on to a gallon every day. It, it, I don't I don't think that's possible for very long, but it certainly could be for the short term. And then let's say your body just goes like, we need this gallon of water a day. So you're now really eight pounds heavier in water. I would think like we could even just do the math at the amount of fuel she's burning. If it's 3,500 calories to a pound and she's in a 2,000 calorie a day deficit, how many days is it before she's burned off eight pounds of fat to show a sign on the scale that she's actually lost weight? You know what I mean? It would be mm-hmm. 15 days. And that's, that's a tiny portion of 75 hard. And then if she, you know, maybe balanced her electrolytes a little bit better and started to piss out some of that water, it would be even more staggeringly high. Um, that, that, those would be all my suspicions. The other thing that I know I've done when I've started some, when I get deep into a diet, I notice that my, uh, desire for sodium increases. And as my desire for sodium increases, my water retention also increases. So that could be a factor too. I don't know if it is. Um, but shit, I would have loved to have heard how, how far into, 35 hard she is or 75 hard if she's five days in i would say like that's water keep going that's all going to disappear and you are in fact burning fat it's like not possible by the laws of physics if what she's saying is accurate to be not burning fat right yeah very interesting i always forget about that program it's so intense but like people love it right i i think it's such an awesome program especially if like you haven't done anything really difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think if you're like, uh, there's two things I would say. I would say like, I don't think just doing 75 hard and returning to, if you need to lose weight or if you have some physical thing that you're trying to work on that <clears throat> is due to your behavior um, or the way you interact with food or something like that, just doing 75 hard and returning to your, the way you were prior to 75 hard that led to this non-desirable situation. Like you're going to eventually get back to the beginning, but if you can do 75 hard, if you start that and see it through and do it all the way, like the, I see no reason that you cannot do anything because it's certainly a hell of a lot harder than, you know, a long, slow diet that'll get you to a goal and then figuring out maintenance. Like it's a hell of a lot harder than that. Um, so I think it's a great thing, like as a, a kickstart or like, let's see what I'm made of, like that kind of thing. And people have great results. I think the thing that's important is like, once it's over, in order to maintain or to continue having those results. Cause like at my heaviest 75 days of anything wasn't going to get me out of the woods. Right. It was going to, it would have put me on a good path, but it wasn't the be all end all. So I think that's an awesome way to start anything like 75 hard January 1st with a plan, uh, for something following it up. Awesome. So awesome. Amazing. Well, good luck to Chelsea. And yeah, I hope that uh, by the time she hears this, <laughs> you know, it's kind of worked itself out, right? Right. So. Hopefully she's now 35 days in and like, yeah, yeah, yeah the weight started falling off. You know, <laughs> yeah. there, there's um, there's an Instagram account and I'm blanking on the dude's name and I wish I wasn't, but he's, I think he started out around, and look, you never know 
if people are being a hundred percent honest or what they're doing or what they're not telling you. But if we're just going to believe everything he said, he started out and he, he very clearly, I mean, this part of it's true. He started out at 515 pounds and started doing a diet of 1600 calories a day and was gaining weight for like the first week was gaining weight. <laughs> like I was watching this and almost going like, you're lying. How could this be real? <laughs> right. um, but then you go like, no, your body can hold on to fluid. Like there's no, you know, and especially at 500 pounds, like that's a, a lot of fluid. Who knows? Maybe the guy's drinking three gallons of water a day. He didn't tell us that. And that could be disruptive to the scale. Right. And then, you know, a week or two in, boom, like clockwork, the weight started falling off. And, uh, you know, he he's about to be under 500 pounds, maybe for the first time in a long time, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, good. Well, uh, thank you for that. Anybody else with a question out there, you can email it to us. The address is hello at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.